Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 7, verses 36 through 39 and 44 through 47. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little loves little. This is the word of the Lord for us. It's amazing how a smell can bring memories flooding back to your mind. So when you went into your grandmother's kitchen and she had those freshly baked cookies and you, you smell that scent, it takes you back to that place. Or maybe it is the sea breeze coming off of the ocean and, and that smell gives you memories of vacations or times with families. Or maybe it's the smell of roses for you. I had a grandmother who, who raised roses, and I am transported back to visits to her home when I smell a rose. Or maybe it's funnel cakes, <laughs> or it's a loved one's perfume. Those smells can trigger memories for us. Um, for those of us who grew up on a farm, it's an entirely different smell <laughs> that takes us back to a different place. But it takes us back there in an instant. It's fascinating. That through the sense of smell, with the odor, with the scent, we go there in an instant. And so today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a woman who made a very fragrant offering to Christ. Cammie read for us from Luke 7 just a few moments ago. She makes a fragrant offering at the feet of Jesus. And it just makes me wonder then, in that woman's life, maybe she smelled that particular fragrance later on, maybe repeatedly. Maybe it was a perfume that was common in that area. And what happened every time she smelled that perfume? Perhaps she, in an instant, was transported back to that place at the feet of Jesus, worshiping, adoring, and surrendering what she had done and how she had been forgiven. We are continuing this morning with our study in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see that the life lived in God's kingdom is lived in surrender at the feet of Jesus. Yes, the life lived in God's kingdom is lived in surrender at the feet of Jesus, that our lives are to be a fragrant offering to Christ. Let me introduce myself. My name is John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA. Just thrilled that you're with us this morning. So glad that we can be together, and I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. If you brought your Bible with you this morning, please open it up. Luke chapter 7, same place we were last week. We looked at the faith of the centurion from verses 1 through 10. This week, we're going to fast forward to the end of chapter 7, starting in verse 36. And what happens in this passage is Jesus attends a party. Yes, that's right. Jesus went to parties. <laughs> he goes to a dinner party. 
And, and to get a picture of what's going on here, we have to understand something about Jewish hospitality. That is, what, what sort of cultural norms and practices were at play that have an impact on the story we read from the end of Luke chapter 7. Um, you have to understand that uh, in a particular town or village, there was a, an obligation, a social obligation on some of the wealthiest and most affluent people that were there. So a wealthy man, an affluent, influential man, really was under an obligation to open up his home for this kind of dinner party, this kind of social engagement, when someone notable came into town, like a person like Jesus, who's doing miracles and gaining popularity, and everyone in the region is talking about this man. So when he comes to town, there's kind of a social obligation to open up his home and invite this person who is a stranger, but who's now notorious and gaining in popularity. And so the fact that Jesus was invited into, so this man's name was Simon, the host of the party. The fact that Jesus was invited into Simon's home, I guess what I'm pointing out is it doesn't mean that Simon was fond of Jesus. It wasn't, hey buddy, hey pal, let's get together. It was, I'm the person who has to host strangers when they come into town and you're the stranger. Uh, So he's really kind of more fulfilling an obligation. There would have been probably an equal obligation on the part of Jesus to accept the invitation. So it would, it would have been, you, 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 according to their, their custom, you would have basically had to accept. It, it would have been an, a really big insult to refuse the invitation to the dinner party. In addition to that, the man not, he not only has to invite Jesus to come over, but he has to invite a whole horde of spectators. <laughs> like the people of the village... He's expected to invite them over as well. Like, no matter what goes on, uh, they get to have a front row seat to this event. Not, not everyone, but a large group of people would have been invited to come. So, uh, and you think about their, their time and place, and they don't have the entertainment options that many other cultures do. So you see this as these dinner parties essentially would have been the evening's entertainment. Uh, we don't know if it's going to get... Uh, uh, heated. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to be presented. This is kind of their form of entertainment. It's, it's like a talk show. Uh, the, the host is hosting, uh, but it's not Jerry Springer. <laughs> uh, this guy's name is Simon, and so he invites Jesus to come into his home. Again, we're talking about the, the Jewish customs around hospitality. It would have been customary for the host to greet the guest at the door. He would have given a kiss on either cheek. He would have called for a servant to wash his feet. That was their mode of transportation. Feet were dirty, and it was, this is a sign of welcome. This is a sign of hospitality. So giving kisses as he comes in, calling for a servant, wash the man's feet, dry the stranger's feet. He would have then had another servant come with oil or perfume, some fragrant thing, and, and essentially put a drop of oil probably on the head of the guest. Again, all as a form of welcoming, letting him know you are the guest of honor. They would have then ushered him into the the seat that was kind of the best seat in the house. So that's what's expected. And I'm sure lots of times these gatherings were just beautiful times of fellowship and fun and a great time getting to know people and and hearing ideas and fellowship and talking. But this particular dinner party in Luke chapter 7 didn't go that way. This one takes a really drastic, unexpected, surprising turn. And so here's what we're going to do as we walk through this passage together, and that is we're going to look at the three primary characters from the story, beginning with this broken woman. She's kind of the one that's, she's kind of hard to miss in this story. Um, Out of nowhere, 
And to the shock and chagrin of these, these people, Simon and his guests in this whole scene of hospitality, this dinner party at which Jesus has come because he's the popular stranger and guest speaker, this woman appears. She shows up. She appears at Jesus' feet, and she's crying. She's sort of undone. She's overwhelmed. Her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And she's not unknown to the group that was gathered there. In fact, they recognize her. They know who she is. <laughs> uh, scriptures tell us she had lived a sinful life. Church historians uh, have some ideas on what that would have meant. Um, I'll keep things G-rated this morning. We don't know what her sinful life was, but what we do know is that her sins were public. We know that she was a person who had a reputation. She is a woman, then, we can understand rightly, who knows scorn and shame. She is a woman who feels that sort of public scrutiny and judgment. She can't go to the marketplace without people looking and whispering and making comments. She's always being judged. And in that, in that way, she probably is a person who doesn't have any peace. She's probably always unsettled, always filled with anxiety. Chances are she has more contempt for herself than others do. That she hates what she has become. That she hates the way she's viewed, that she's a sinner and everyone else knows it. She's a broken woman. But here's what this broken woman decides to do. She decides to go to Jesus. She's not invited to the party. She's not really welcomed or wanted at the party. So you can imagine how the dinner guests react when this woman comes into the party and makes this scene. What's she doing here? <laughs> Why did she come in and what is going on here? Why, why is she doing this extravagant display with the tears and the hair and the wiping of the tears on the feet? And the, the interesting thing is the people who were saying, what's she doing here? As I study this passage, as I, as I get into the scriptures and I'm, and I'm trying to draw out the, the gospel message and the deep theological truths, I find myself asking the exact same question. What is she doing there? What is she doing there? From where had she come and why is she crying and what is it that she's seeking? Now, a respectable woman in their culture would have never let their hair down in public. They would have never let their hair down in public. It was always to be kept up, but she lets her hair down. She's at that point in her life, I think, where she just doesn't care what other people think. <laughs> she begins to surrender and worship and connect with Jesus. She came to Jesus. And so what she does is she brings with her an alabaster jar, would have been a pretty common uh, mode of carrying or transporting some sort of liquid, and it's got perfume in it. And she uses that perfume to pour on Jesus. And so undoubtedly then, this sweet fragrance, as I mentioned just a moment ago, this smell of perfume, whatever that particular scent was, begins to fill the room. And as that scene unfolds and the scent just fills and permeates the room, everyone looks at Jesus to see how is he going to respond. Is he going to be shocked, appalled, disgusted? Is he going to turn her away? He doesn't appear to be 
any of those things. And this potentially would have been very uh, extravagant. The, the cost of the whole bottle of perfume that she uses, not just a dab of. Um, and maybe you know someone like that. You're like, you know, with perfume, you just just use a little spritz. <laughs> you don't use the whole bottle, right? So she uses the whole bottle. This would have been an extravagant display of surrender. This was costly worship, we could say. This was costly worship. Not only does it cost the woman the perfume. So in other words, we have the financial cost of whatever that perfume was and how much that cost. We have that. But not only that, we have the cost of being the spectacle. We have the cost of more judgment, more condemnation, more people who don't get it. Going into a place where she doesn't belong and where she's not wanted. Potentially, she's going to get thrown out. But it seems like none of these things mattered to this broken woman. Jesus was there. And so she went to surrender her life at the feet of Jesus. It seems like her, her perspective on this was it doesn't matter how costly. It doesn't matter how much this perfume costs. It doesn't matter how much uh, rejection I'm going to have to endure. It doesn't matter. I might, I might get picked up by the scruff of my neck and thrown out. Her desire to see and worship Jesus was greater than the cost. The price she had to pay might be high, but she's saying it is worth it. So the broken woman is is one of the main characters in this story. Let's take a look at another one, which is the host, whose name is Simon. He's an arrogant Pharisee. So what this means is for, for Simon, the guy who's hosting, is he is like a disciplined follower of the law. He, he is a keeper of truth for the Hebrews. He, he follows the Old Testament. So what this means is his life was, was marked by um, fasting and praying and studying the Torah. He would have been giving alms, which is like giving money to to poor people, you know, helping people that are hungry. He was one of those men who is respected in his village. Uh, he's the kind of guy who, he's on all the right boards and committees. You're like, oh yeah, well, I'm part of that team. I'm part of that board. Well, I serve on that committee. <laughs> he's a leader. He's, he's exemplary. He's probably the most wealthy person in the town. He's the most influential person. He has a lot of power. He has a lot of clout. He, he, he never misses a Sabbath service. He's always there, sitting in the front row or leading the service, right? He knows his Bible from front to back. But for all of the good that was in him, this this Pharisee who who knew the law and who adhered to the law, he was cynical. On the outside, everything looked fine with Simon. But on the inside, it was a different story. We're going to see here that he's... He's rather cynical. He's grumpy. It reminds me of the story I heard about the grumpy barber. You want to hear it? <laughs> all, right, all right. One person in our church was like, yeah. The rest of you were like, ah. The grumpy barber was uh, giving a haircut, and the gentleman came in, one of his regular customers, and the gentleman says, I'm going on a trip, and he starts to tell the barber about what he's going to do. He's got plans to go to Rome, and he's going to go to the Vatican, and he's like, man, wouldn't it be cool if I even see the Pope when I'm there? Well, 
In true form, the grumpy barber responds, go to Rome. What are you talking about? I've heard Rome is the dirtiest city in the entire world. And if you fly over there, you better not choose Delta because Delta, the food's terrible. The flights are overcrowded. Like, and you think you're actually going to see the Pope. You're crazy. Like, you're not going to get within 100 feet of him. In fact, this whole trip is really stupid. You shouldn't even do this trip. It's a giant waste of your time and your money. Well, the man's used to this kind of abuse. He endures it, gets the haircut, and leaves. So he comes back into the barbershop three weeks later for his regular haircut. And he tells him, I took the trip. I went. He says, uh, Rome was just a delightful city. It was very clean. It was captivating and, and a, a wonderful time. You were wrong. He says, the, I flew Delta. <laughs> and the food was delicious on the flight, and it wasn't overcrowded. You were wrong again. He says, and let me tell you about this. I go to the Vatican. And guess who was there? The Pope. And I saw the Pope. And I was actually able to go up to the Pope. And he put his hand on my head. And he actually blessed me. So the grumpy barber is just flabbergasted by this. He is speechless. He is shocked. Like, what? So then he's curious. And he's, he wants to know. He says, okay, so what can I ask? Like, what did the Pope say to you? The guy says, the Pope leaned in really close. And he said, my son, you have the worst haircut I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> uh, Simon, the grumpy host who has Jesus in his home. Yeah, he might have invited Jesus over. They might have had food that was prepared there, but he did not extend the normal Jewish hospitality that was expected, that was demanded. He almost seemingly intentionally omitted doing those things, he didn't greet Jesus with a kiss. He didn't call for the foot washing. He didn't call for the oil. He, he, he did not do the things that were expected or needed for him to expend, extend hospitality to Jesus. He was kind of avoiding everything that would have made Jesus feel welcome. And I really, I want to, I want to underscore this. This is not like a Whoops, I forgot. Oh, I was busy doing other things. It just slipped my mind. Um, this, would have, this would have been an intentional choice, not just, oh, this was negligence. This would have been beyond rude and disrespectful. I, I would say the closest thing in our culture would be if someone were to greet you and extend a hand for a handshake and they refuse to shake your hand. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I don't know if anyone has ever refused to shake your hand. But that, in our culture, that is, a, that is a direct disrespect. That's a refusal to, I'm not even going to shake your hand. And so that's probably the closest thing to what was happening here with, uh, with Simon and Jesus. There, there is, and we'll see this, this underlying really animosity toward Jesus from Simon. In fact, let, let's look closely at verse 39. We're in Luke chapter 7. Simon says, not out loud, not so other people can hear, but to himself, he thinks it. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, he's too chicken to say it out loud. He's keeping things, as always, with Simon, this arrogant Pharisee. On the outside, everything's fine and everything's squeaky clean. But on the inside, he's cynical. And he says, ha, I knew it. This Jesus guy isn't really who he says he is. He isn't really a big deal. He's not a real prophet. He would know about this woman. 
A real prophet wouldn't let her get anywhere near him. And now he's going to be exposed. He's going to be, he's going to be done. His ministry is going to be finished. Just wait till everyone finds out about this. Wait till we tell everyone. And the whole town is laying witness to this, that this dirty, filthy, sinful, outcast of a woman is, is touching and connecting with Jesus. He doesn't seem to know it. But see, here's Simon was wrong. Simon has this theological assumption. Again, as a, as a Pharisee, he, he, this is his worldview. A figure, like a prophet, a holy person, would never have anything to do with a sinful woman. That's, this is his theological assumption. That if Jesus indeed were a prophet, or even beyond that, the Messiah, which he, he's not even guessing about that. If Jesus was this upstanding, upright, righteous person, then he would never allow this woman to let her hair down and anoint him with oil and allow her tears to wash his very feet. He didn't know Jesus. Simon didn't know the heart of Christ. In Simon's mind, if Jesus knew the woman was a sinner, he would have never had anything to do with her. But there are two kinds of sinners in the world, my friend. Only two kinds of sinner in the world. You know what those are? The person who knows they're a sinner and the person who doesn't. <laughs> and Simon is the latter. He too is a sinner. He too has exiled himself from the heart of God. My, maybe his behavior is in line with what was expected, but his heart is hard. He is arrogant. He is cynical. And so he too is a sinner. And I'm challenged this morning that as I read this story, and maybe this morning it would be good for us to kind of place ourselves at the dinner party. Like we're there. We're part of this. Like, are we the woman? Who know, are, are, are we the kind of person who says, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. And Jesus, would you forgive me? Or are we like Simon, who on the outside, we've got it all together. And a lot of us, we've grown up in church. We've been, we've been doing the Christian thing, the church thing for generations. And are we like Simon, who on the outside, everything is squeaky clean, but on the inside, we don't know Jesus. We don't know what he's about. And we walk in cynicism and judgmentalism toward others. Even to the point that we have Jesus right before us, but we don't recognize it. We have Jesus available, but we don't bow down in worship. We don't humble ourselves. We don't kiss him and offer our sacrifices as this woman did. I'm challenged with that this morning. Who am I at the dinner party? Who are you at the dinner party? What if someone like this woman who's got the reputation, who who in our community is, is known, their sins are public. What if they came here into our church family? What if they wanted to worship Christ next to you? How would we respond? Well, there's a third character that I want to discuss this morning. We talked about the broken woman and the arrogant Pharisee. There's Jesus, the forgiving Savior, who is the guest of honor. He's the reason this is all happening. There's Jesus, who allows the woman to approach him. We've seen, even in these first chapters of the book of Luke, that Jesus has authority. That when Jesus says it, it happens. 
He is in command. He is in control. If he did not want this woman near him, he would have simply said the word. She would not have been allowed into the house, into the region, anywhere near him. He allows the woman. He permits her to come to him to wash his feet with her tears. To anoint him with the perfume. He doesn't stop her. And listen, guys, here's the thing. Jesus, and maybe Jesus could have chosen. I'm I'm saying this. He could have. He could have said, I'm going to forgive you, but why don't you just stop there at the door? Dear child, your sins are forgiven. Now do not enter because you're not welcome here. Go away. Like he could have done that, but he didn't. He allowed her. He permitted her to come into the home to fall at his feet. And it was a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing that this woman did. He saw her brokenness. He responded to her with compassion, with love. With his heart of forgiveness. He saw her faith. He saw her boldness and her courage. To to be at that point in life where she says. I really don't care what anyone else thinks. Except for Jesus. And again my friends. I'm convicted by that. In corporate worship. Are are we inhibited. Because we're afraid of what someone's going to think. If they see us. They are, we're afraid of what they, we might sound like if they hear us versus it's an audience of one. Jesus sees this woman. He sees her faith. He sees her brokenness. She falls at his feet and he forgives her. And so it's this beautiful picture for each and every one of us that it's there at that place in surrender as a fragrant offering at the feet of Jesus. That's the place where we find rest. That's the place where we find peace. That's the place where we find hope. It's the one place where we can no, we no longer need to keep up appearances. Because Jesus already knows. There is no keeping up appearances with Jesus. There is no, I'm going to impress him with how I sound, how I look, what I do. Jesus knew everything about this woman. He knew not only what she'd done, he knew where she had been, where she came from. He knew why she was there. Those questions that I ask as I read this story, Jesus knew the answers to. I go, why did she go? What was she doing there? Jesus knows. She was there to surrender. She was there to worship. She cared only about what Jesus thought. Jesus knows everything about the woman. He knows, as we saw then, or we'll, we'll see, we'll, let's continue reading. Because he, he sees Simon, and he didn't say the words, remember, he thought them, but Jesus heard, perceived the thoughts that Simon had. So let, let's look at verse 40. Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Uh, Jesus tells a parable, and he, he asks, which one loves more, right? So uh, he's responding to Simon's arrogance here. Here we go, uh, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus says, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Jesus tells the parable and then asks the question, which one? And you and I read that and we go, well, anyone knows what the correct answer is. If there had been a little three-year-old kid wandering through the room at the time, they would have been like, I know. (laughs) 
Verse 43, Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. By the way, this would have been also part of their custom is kind of after the meal and after the banquet, there would have been this after dinner speech or presentation. So Jesus is expected to share. And so he does so. And he does so in this parable, this story about two men who owe money to a lender. One owed a lot, one owed a little, and the lender forgives both of them. And then the simple question, which one is going to love him more, right? This is a no brainer. Simon gets it right immediately right away again with a little bit of a calloused attitude from him well i suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt (laughs) now i have learned when you study the parables of jesus and he asks you a question which jesus often did jesus asked a lot of questions but i have learned as you look at scripture when jesus asks you a question like um watch out (laughs) Because he's not asking you a question because he doesn't have the information and he wants to receive the information. So he asks Simon this question. And and it's like, just when you give the right answer, you know, as Simon does here in kind of this callous, off-the-cuff kind of way, you're kind of feeling good about yourself, maybe like, okay, give me another question. Give me something a little harder. You're feeling good about yourself. Jesus kind of like lays down the boom. (laughs) And that's exactly what he does here to Simon. Jesus delivers the knockout punch. He tells Simon, well, then look at this sinful woman who has done so wrong, who has done so much, who has this reputation and whose sins are many. I love the fact that Jesus tells Simon, look at her. For for a pious, arrogant Pharisee like Simon, he would not have even looked at this woman. He's the kind of guy who he would have constantly looked over her, around her, beside her. He would not have looked directly at her, but that's what Jesus tells him to do. He says, look at this woman. Let's pick it back up at verse 44. Then Jesus turns to the woman. And while looking at the woman, he speaks to Simon. Jesus, Simon, The whole crowd are looking at the woman. And the Lord says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you didn't give any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus has asked the man this question based on the parable. Which one do you think loves more? Simon gives the correct answer, and then Jesus goes after him. Simon, you have withheld Every imaginable form of hospitality and welcome and accommodation to me as your supposed guest. But this woman, the outcast woman, the one who's not invited and not wanted, she's the one who has made this extravagant and fragrant offering. You wouldn't even give so much as a drop of oil. And she gave the whole jar of perfume. And so who loves more? Who loves more? Clearly, she does. And Simon has already answered that by giving his response to the question of the parable. 
Simon already knows that. Jesus is just kind of laying the boom at this point. This woman is like the man in the parable who was forgiven much, the 500 denarii. She's aware of how big her debt is. And when it's forgiven, she is so grateful. Her response is surrender, adoration, love. Yes, even extravagance at the feet of Christ. Now, I do want to note, if we do a a Bible study on the parable that Jesus tells here, that it's not one person owed a debt and was forgiven and the other wasn't. Both people owed the debt. As I said a few moments ago, there are only two kinds of sinners. The one who knows they are a sinner and the one who does not. So I want to point that out, that as Jesus tells this parable, it's not that one person owed a debt and the other did not. It's both owed a debt. Both people have fallen short. Simon might have been the one who only owed 50 denarii, but he still owed a debt. And so I want to help us to see very clearly this morning. Some might have greater sins than others. Some might have a longer history and story of sin. But everyone is spiritually in debt. Everyone has sinned and done wrong and separated ourselves from a holy and loving God. And I do think sometimes it's harder for those of us who we were saved early in life. We've walked with Jesus for decade over decade over decade. We've grown up in the church. We've been spared from that life of public sin. It's hard for uh, It can be very hard for us to realize the magnitude of what Christ has done in forgiving us. For this woman, for people who have walked that broken path or lived that life of public sin, or long-standing, turned their back on Christ, and in very visible ways, in very graphic ways, gone astray. For them to realize that they are forgiven, that they are set free, that they are, can be healed in the presence of Christ. Like this woman shows that. She knew how great her sin was. She knew that the spiritual debt she owed was greater than she could ever pay. And yet Jesus has chosen to forgive. And that's why she pours out the perfume and she says, scorn me if you want. I don't care because I'm so grateful for this man, Jesus, who forgives. I want to read the last few verses of this passage, starting verse 47. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A woman who had no peace. Anywhere she went, probably looked in the mirror and hated what she had become. And people were always there ready to remind her of how sinful she was with judgmental, cynical glances, comments, whispers. This woman now has peace. It's a picture of a life transformed by an encounter with Christ. An encounter where Jesus responds with compassion and love and forgiveness. She stepped up to the plate and did what Simon wouldn't do. 
when she gave the kisses and the, the anointing and the washing of the feet. And Jesus says her many sins have been forgiven. <laughs> and I wonder if he maybe even turned his gaze towards Simon when he said, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Boom! <laughs> you know, like, that's the mic drop moment. That's the... Simon, you arrogant Pharisee. You're the one who is sick with sin. You're the one who has a problem. And I'll tell you guys, it's just really hard for me to read this story and try to put myself at the dinner party without seeing that I'm Simon. It's just really hard to, to read this story without hearing those words said about me. I remember, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago or something, I came to uh, an MCA event and I was asked to give my testimony. And I brought the parable of the prodigal son. And I shared that story and then I said, but I'm not the prodigal son. I'm the older brother. I'm the one who on the outside, I was, I was always right there and I was, I was following the rules and I was behaving and I was doing right. But on the inside, it's a different story. And in this story, the woman is the one who's blessed and she leaves right with God and at peace. And Simon is the one who gets the harsh criticism from our Lord. He's talking about Simon here, but he's talking about me. When he asks the question, well, who's going to love more? This woman, you know, the, the one who was forgiven little, the one who was forgiven a lot. Oh, I think it was the one who was forgiven a lot. Yeah. And that's why it's important for us, my friends, to understand this, this truth that we all have a spiritual debt. That's why it's important for us to, to, to get that, that we've all sinned, we've all done wrong. We're, none of us are deserving of God's grace and forgiveness. Here's what Isaiah 53, 6 says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every, each one of us has turned to our own way. We're all indebted spiritually. And we can't pay the penalty that's due. We could never repay the debt that we owe. But there is such good news that Jesus forgives. That all who come to him will be forgiven. And this is a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't impress God enough. We don't just do the right things and say the right things. We don't spend 18 years in full-time pastoral ministry. And then he goes, okay, you've earned your spot. It's a free gift. <laughs> No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Just as Jesus declares this to the woman in verse 48, he offers forgiveness to you and I. He offers it to, let's, let's view it this way, to everyone who falls broken at his feet. So we're going to continue being the arrogant Pharisee? Or will we humble, humble ourselves and fall broken at the feet of Jesus, no matter what it costs? 
Now, I say that salvation is free. It's free for you and I. It wasn't free for the Lord because it cost him very dearly. It cost him the life of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who willingly went as a sheep before the slaughter to the cross of Calvary, who died, who gave up his life, and on the third day, by the power of God, was raised to life. So salvation isn't free for the Lord. He paid the cost. Jesus paid the cost. And Jesus is the one who forgives. The one who in faith repents, confesses, and falls broken at his feet. It's a beautiful thing to see this woman who leaves that day and she leaves saved, sanctified, forgiven, at peace, right with God. Do you think that she went right back into her life of sin? Went right back into whatever corrupt practices or addictions? No. She'd met Jesus. That changes everything. That's what happens when we meet Jesus. And and so I hope that this morning you'll say, it's not about playing church. It's not about attending a religious service or going through any motions. It's about encountering Christ as this woman did. Falling broken at his feet. It's in that place that we are changed. We know what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, saying, Jesus, I'm totally yours. I belong to you. He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So I want to conclude this morning as we reflect on this story from Luke chapter 7. And again, maybe one of the most helpful things for us to do is put yourself there. Put yourself at the dinner party. Are you like the woman? Broken and looking for peace and hope and forgiveness? Or are you like Simon? Unaware of how great your sin is. Because you're not as bad as the person next to you. Or how do you react when that sinful person enters the room? Do you sneer? Do you revile? Do you gossip? Do you whisper and murmur about how other people have done so wrong and done things that are so egregious? (laughs) You know, let me just encourage you with this. The next time someone brings up to you that juicy story, that tidbit, that fall from grace. Did you hear what this person did? Did you hear what happened? Let me just encourage us to take that and say, and I'm also a sinner. And just as much as that person needs to be forgiven and restored, so do I. Who are you in the story? The reaction of Jesus to this broken woman is so sweet and so beautiful. Again, Simon didn't get it. Simon thought, if Jesus is really a prophet, he's not going to have anything to do with this woman. But Jesus allowed her. He permitted her. And he does the same with us. He invites us to come before him. He beckons us to come. Don't think about what others care about you. Think about you. Don't care. It's about what I think about you. Don't think about all the good that you've done and how nice you are. Recognize that you have a spiritual debt and you cannot pay for it. 
so you fall and surrender at the feet of Jesus, thankful for his forgiveness. He is the forgiving Savior. So our lives, my friends, are to be lived then as this fragrant offering at the feet of Jesus. You know what 2 Corinthians 2 says? It says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, an aroma that brings life. Because when you've been changed by Christ, he then uses you as an agent of change in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your community. To be the aroma of Christ. And so the best advice I can give, the best response we can have from this good news is to fall at the feet of Jesus. To fall at the feet of Jesus. Broken. In need of forgiveness and healing. It's only at the feet of Jesus that there's hope. It's only at the feet of Jesus that there is peace. It's only there at the feet of Jesus that there is healing, true healing. That is the place of comfort. That is the place of rest. That is the place of worship. That is the place of wholeness. So fall at the feet of Jesus in surrender, in adoration. There's no other place like it. It's in that place that he invites us to lay down our burdens, to leave behind what is in the past, to be made new in Christ. What good news. Let's go before the feet of Jesus now in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, help us. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you bring conviction? Would you bring us to yourself? Too long, O oh Lord, have we hidden behind piety and outward appearances. Too long have we refused to be the, like the woman, to be a spectacle, to recognize our brokenness, to surrender all at your feet, no matter how costly. But Lord, today we choose to right here, right now, in the quietness of this moment, we surrender to you, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, be our master. We give you control. We give you charge of our lives, of our thoughts, of our habits. Those places that we are ensnared, that we are trapped, that we are addicted. Oh, Jesus, set us free bring healing. So this morning we do speak the name of Jesus. The mighty name of Jesus. The matchless name of Jesus. The marvelous name of Jesus. Because there's only one name under heaven whereby humans can be saved. How grateful we are, Lord, for what you're doing. 
we pray, Lord, that in it, you would get the honor and the glory. So thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this gathering this morning. Continue to lead us, provide for us, bless us, meet with us, Lord, even here in this place, that we might go out filled with peace and hope because we are forgiven. We pray these things only in Jesus' name. Amen.